Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. We're actually coming to you from three different time zones all the morning this time. I've got Bruce Weiner, my co-host with me, as well as Perry Miller. And he is the former regional vice president of Lafayette Life Insurance Company. We're really excited to be able to have him on the show and really dig into this idea and concept of dividends today. So good morning, Bruce. And good morning, Perry. How are you guys this morning? Doing great, Rachel. Thank you. Good morning, Rachel. Uh, this is uh, going to be a very great treat for all of our listeners. Perry has a tremendous amount of knowledge, uh, mainly because he's been serving in the industry for, I mean, I, I don't know, but I would say it's close to probably 40 years, right, Perry? Um, uh, 40, maybe a little more. Yeah. And so uh, there's going to be hardly anything that we can ask him today that he's not going to have it right on the tip of his tongue. And he's, he's repeated it over and over and over. So this is going to be a really big treat for our listeners. Absolutely. So let me share a little bit with you about what we're talking about today and a little bit about Perry, and then we will jump into this great conversation. So first, if you are in the position of looking at life insurance right now, and maybe you're considering getting a privatized banking policy, and you're looking at the idea that you can earn dividends inside of a dividend paying whole life insurance policy, and you're saying, oh, that makes sense. And now how do I figure out what my dividend is going to be and how that's going to impact my future performance. What can really happen is somebody can get stuck in this idea of comparing dividends or dividend rates and not understand what is really beneath that. So today we're going to be uncovering the four primary myths of life insurance dividends with this great conversation and this wealth of wisdom that we have on the show today. So we're going to be helping you understand how dividends work understand the impact that they're going to have on your policy in the future so you can make the best decision when starting a whole life policy so that you can have the best future performance. Now, a little bit more about Perry Miller. So he has been in the industry about 42 years I have here. Um, He earned a Bachelor of Science in Business Economics and Finance and then an MBA with a focus on management and business economics. I should probably be able to pronounce that word correctly. Um, so he's first started then helping individuals and small businesses maximize their cash flow and protect their assets. Then he started and owned an insurance and investment-based advisor firm. That was for about 10 years. For 16 years, he served as the regional sales vice president for Lafayette Life Insurance Company, and he worked with a lot of advisors who helped the region with that insurance company. And now for the last six years, he's hosted a an uh, advisor-focused Colorado business retreat, and now he is since June of this year. So during our COVID timeframe, he's retired from Lafayette life. He now owns a boutique financial practice, and he's focused really on retirement assets and planned charitable giving. So we'll also probably hear about his daughter that he's super proud of in chemical engineering and his wife, Karen through this show. And I'm also excited to hear that you're coming from Colorado and you love skiing and sailing. I can't say that I am awesome at skiing, but I do know how to ski. So very, very exciting. So Perry, can you go ahead and just share with us a little bit beyond what I shared in your bio? Um, Just a little bit about how you came to this place in your life insurance practice and what that means for you. 
Okay. Well, I, you know, I started out in the field as an insurance agent and uh, practicing that way, focusing on, again, people and helping their, their cash flow, protecting their assets. Um, we've been, I've been securities licensed, a principal, general securities. I, I've got a 65. I've got consultant, all those things. And uh, we've been doing it for a long, long time. The reason I came into this industry um, really was because I saw a lot of problems in the rural areas because uh, I grew up in a rural area of Missouri where a lot of business people and farmers and, and contractors and just everyday business folks really had trouble managing the, the complexities of the finances day to day. And this is back in the time, and you wouldn't remember this, Rachel, but this is back when, when interest rates were double digits. Mm. And so you know, home mortgage was 10, 11% interest rates. Uh, credit cards were 20% interest rates and um, really was creating a problem for a lot of folks. On the other hand, money market accounts were also paying eight to 9%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were offsetting factors. So, so those complicated competing financial things is really what got me involved. Um, you were starting to see bankruptcies. You were starting to see uh, farms foreclosed upon at the time because of those high interest rates. And it was necessary to come in and try to help those people. And that, that was really the focus. That's excellent. Well, you've certainly had a long history and a long track record of being in life insurance. And I think just the the value of that is going to be tremendously obvious as we kind of start digging into what this means for somebody who's looking to navigate this financial world that we live in today, certainly very different from when you first came into the industry, but there's a lot of challenges that we see today as well. And, and we're saying, how can life insurance be that stability, that certainty, and that guarantee for me in a mit- in the midst of this turbulence economically all around me? And so we're going to help dig into what that really means specifically in the area of life insurance dividends. So from what you see, um, let's first just talk about what is a dividend and what goes into a life insurance company's decision to declare a particular dividend? Okay. Uh, there is some confusion in the marketplace. People think of dividends as being part of uh, stock dividends, something that you earn from investing in a company. Uh, mutual and mutual holding companies are able to issue dividends attached to their whole life insurance product. And whole life insurance is really the only product today that offers some sort of dividend. Um, For mutual and mutual holding companies, those dividends are a calculation. Every company keeps their calculation secret, but it's mainly a combination of forecasting expenses, forecasting current interest rates and yields and what they hope to do in the future, as well as what their portfolio is doing, and then the mortality on, on a policy. Insurance companies are pretty good at predicting mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, and large companies can can do a nice job of that because of the the, the rule of large numbers. Uh, expenses are always an issue. Usually, the things that surprise people and expenses or surprise companies and expenses are changes in the tax code, um, unexpected things. This COVID issue this year certainly was an unexpected issue, both in mortality and expense uh, underwriting. So those things come into play. But if those are Manage properly, then you have a fairly good forecast of what a policy might do. 
when a whole life contract, if you look at those, and today we have illustrations. So, you know, you get in this illustration competitiveness from company to company, and people assume some things sometimes. But a whole life contract will have guarantees, the guaranteed premium typically, a guaranteed death benefit, so the benefit that will go to uh, the beneficiaries, and then a guaranteed cash value in the contract. Then in addition mm-hmm. to that are dividends. So why is that? Well, by charter and by law, a whole life contract must pay its guarantees. You, you have a contractual obligation to pay what the contract says it's going to pay, whether it's you know, final expenses or whether it's guaranteed cash values. If, that, if those other three factors change, expenses, mortality, um, and interest rates, then a company may or may not be able to meet those dividend projections. So the dividend is kind of the safety valve. So if something doesn't work out as well as you'd hoped it would, then you can reduce those dividend flow. So we're in a very low interest rate trough. We have been for several years and dividends have been under pressure. So dividends have been lower and been projected lower than they had been in the 60s, the 70s, even the 80s. Mm-hmm. Mortality has improved. So on, on that side of the ledger, that actually helped us improve dividends a little bit. Um, and the same thing reflects, especially in a mutual company, if things improve. So interest rates improve, uh, expenses stay low, mortality stays manageable, you may see an increase in dividends. And in fact, I would suggest that there's a fairly good chance that we are in a very low interest rate environment that could go up. And if those interest rates could go up, then you might see dividends recover and do much better than they have in the past. Hey, Barry, would it be, would it be fair also to say is that uh, because dividends are a projection um, <laughs> as far out as 121 years when the policies uh, endowed that the uh, companies are really doing their best to try to project them, but what you see on an illustration is never going to actually happen? Yeah, I think that's pretty true. If you look at most companies, uh, most companies are able to boast they've always paid a dividend. Mm-hmm. Um, most mutual companies thrive and, and really try to do that. Uh, even during the Great Depression, most mutual insurance companies were still paying dividends during World War II. Companies still continue to pay dividends. Did they meet their projections always? No, not always. And again, they, they need that flexibility so that they know that they can meet their guarantees. Um, so... You know, a trade-off could say, well, we're always going to meet our dividend projection. Well, if that's the case, then you endanger the things that are most important in the policy, the guarantees, the death benefit will be paid if the premium are paid, uh, even beyond the, an insurance company's life because of the guaranteed pools and states. Uh, there's a certain guarantee that even if an insurance company was to go under, um, then they would have those backups by the guarantee. And that's a very, very rare circumstances, uh, especially today. Typically, what you see today, if an insurance company does get into financial issues, they're going to be merging or collaborating with other companies and, and still see those policies continue. So it's pretty safe. You know, I really like how you're helping us to really look at the idea that if we're going to have a guaranteed death benefit, because the life insurance company, especially for whole life insurance, does absolutely provide that guaranteed death benefit. They need to be able to have some mechanism that can adjust if 
costs are different than they project. And in order to not have to um, pull back their, um, their guarantee of the death benefit, and in order to be able to meet that, they have another mechanism, which is the dividend, being able to change or adjust that dividend and pay different than they had expected. So what I would like to do is kind of come all the way back to the beginning. If you're listening right now and you're saying, what in the world are we even talking about? Let's just give a really brief lay of the land. So we're talking about whole life insurance policy that has premium that goes in. You have a death benefit. The premium purchases a death benefit and a portion of the death benefit is available to you in the form of cash value that you can access and use. Now the cash value is growing through two things and that's interest, which is guaranteed plus dividends. We always say that dividends are not guaranteed, but as you just mentioned and alluded to, they have been very likely. So we say highly likely, but not guaranteed dividends, meaning the div- the company doesn't have to pay a dividend, but they more than likely will because of their track record and their history of paying dividends through all of these bad economic downturns through history for at least over the last hundred years with the companies that we work with. So when we're looking at the dividend itself, sometimes what can happen is if you are comparing two life insurance policies side by side, and I just said a word that I'm going to actually correct, you're comparing two life insurance illustrations side by side. You're thinking, I want to buy a life insurance policy and this policy and this policy, the only difference that I can really see is the dividend rate, meaning company A shows me a 6% dividend rate and company B shows me a 4.5% dividend rate. The first thought that can be going through my head as I'm trying to figure out what to do in terms of buying a life insurance policy can be, well, if they both have a guaranteed death benefit and they both have cash value, but this dividend rate is higher than this dividend rate. Now, company A shows higher year in and year out growth based on today's projected dividend rate, which can do a lot of things in my brain. I can be thinking, A, this company A is going to always perform at that dividend rate that they showed me on the illustration, which is not true. I can also be thinking that company A is going to outperform company B because the dividend, the today's declared dividend rate is higher than company B, which is also not true. And I can also be thinking that therefore that means for sure, I'm always going to get paid a 6% dividend with company A. So I think sometimes the the dividend rate itself can bring a lot of confusion to somebody who's really just trying to make the best decision with the information available. So let's step back into the conversation where you're talking about this ability to moderate and modulate the dividend that's paid versus what dividend was declared in that life insurance policy. So let's go back to if a life insurance company declares a dividend, then they actually pay a dividend in the in that year. So just say in the span of one, one specific year, what is the difference between the declared dividend and the actual dividend they end up paying? And where could there be some differences from those two numbers? Okay. And I think you hit upon one of the, the issues and the problems that the consumer so often uh, is confused by the, the languages that we use and the, the, the details of insurance policy. And it's, it's not like, you know, you're buying ice cream and everybody knows one tastes better than the other. 
Um, this is really a situation where at some point, a lot of consumers, because of the confusion of terminology, will throw up their hand and say, well, this number is bigger than that number. Therefore, I'm buying the big number. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not always the best thing. Sometimes it works out, but it's not always the best thing. So if I understand what you're asking, it's declared rate and projected rate. So an insurance company will make a declaration, generally the second half of the year, for what the following year's dividend is going to be. Usually once they declare that dividend, they're going to stay with that for the entire next year. So every policy that is then renewing in the following year will receive that declared rate for that particular year. Uh, Obviously, past years could have been different. Um, Future years may be different. So again, they may continue to project something, but the declared rates which are going to earn in that particular year. Um, Companies make a big deal out of that because the marketing department's always looking for some sort of edge and they realize that a, a more aggressive illustration sometimes uh, sways a certain number of consumers and insurance agents uh, to use one company over the other. And the reality is uh, the consumer should be looking a little deeper than that. Uh, they should certainly be looking at the policy itself, uh, the details of those policies with, with the help of a professional. They should be able to analyze those sort of things, um, access to the money, um, how the dividends may be used. You mentioned that the dividends add to cash value, and that's only one option. That uh, is there true. There are several options for dividends that you can use, uh, but but generally that's what people are looking at. Um, so all that you know comes into play, and then you know, the company itself, and what's the potential of the company performing in the future? What have they performed in the past? How conservative or aggressive is the company? And, and we know these days that. The most aggressive investment philosophy is not always the best long-term philosophy. And insurance companies are, are famous for being very conservative. Um, but in recent years, uh, through other policy designs and the desire to compete, they're not as conservative as they once were. Mm-hmm. Hey, Perry, one, one of the things I think in this particular topic is um, the fact that um, I always tell people, you know, if you logically think about this, because of the makeup of the investment portfolio is mostly bonds, and the fact of the matter is the bonds are out there on the free market, and there's a not there's not going to be a lot of variable from one company to another as far as what they can purchase in bonds, and the for, and the mortality mortality tables are set by every by every company's using the same mortality tables, so they're but basically interpreting it, death rates at the same way. And expenses are the thing that um, each company has to really uh, control. Then when you think about it, all the companies should be all around about the same declared dividend rate because there's just not that big a variable. You can't hit a home run. I think That's true. Yeah. I think what happens though is, and I saw this 12 years ago during the Great Recession, is some companies said, oh, this great recession is just going to be a little blimp on the radar. And they held their dividend rates <clears throat> longer than they should have. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, they, they decided not to, to bring them down. Other companies mm-hmm. said, no, we're bringing them down immediately because we've lowered interest rates. 
uh, and some other the companies said, oh, I don't think these interest rates are going to stay low very long. And, and we found out they were unprecedented and, and, and stayed low for about six years before they even bumped up a little bit. Those companies now that I've noticed, and we use some of those companies, um, they actually held their dividend rates. So their illustrations look really good when you're showing it, but now they've had to tick them down where the other ones who have actually brought them down right away, they've been able to hold their dividend rate and actually tick them up a little bit in recent history. So I thought I want the consumer out there that's listening to this podcast to understand that it's the ramifications of the uh, dividends is, are pretty stable. It's really about, and the reason they're stable is because all insurance companies have to provide guarantees. And the only way to provide guarantees is are these bond portfolios, which are available to everybody. And the mortality rates are available to everybody. And so um, it's going to stay pretty stable. What I always tell a person is the, the things that I think are important is how can you design the policy? What kind of customer service are you, get, are you getting from the policy? And then how close have they been actually to you know, hitting these dividend projections along the way so that you can feel good peace of mind. Um, would you have any comments on, on the, those uh, points that I made? You covered kind of a broad spectrum there, but, but yes, I, I would agree that um, generally most mutual, mutual holding companies, insurance companies are going to be heavily weighted into high quality bonds. Uh, in some states are mandated to be in those areas by their charter and in other states, uh, they may not be, but that's where they want to be. And they, they need to be there because, again, the nature of the long term that insurance companies are playing in. Mutual companies have an obligation to their policyholders. So they don't have stockholders. So, again, this plays to the how the companies are formed, how they're controlled and managed and why there are dividends. And in the long run, yes, uh, you'll see companies maybe making short-term play that they want to show a little higher dividend. They're going to try to hold that declared rate, even though interest rates have been low. Other companies will say, we're not going to play that game because we really don't know the answer there. And we're going to reflect our dividend based upon current interest rates. Over time, all those companies suffer or, or, or enjoy whatever the rate actually was in those years in those bond markets. So over time, they all have to adjust. And mm -hmm. so a short-term aggressive projection probably will lead to sometime in the future will have to be more conservative, uh, it, especially if they bet wrong. Um, but again, as you said, interest rates are pretty close. Dividend rates are pretty close. Uh, companies get into, and I've been involved in, in product design in the past, they, they spend a lot of time and effort over a quarter of a point. And, you know, does that really make a difference? Well, it, it can in a long-term illustration, but a long-term actual performance, the market place for interest rates and bonds are what they are, as you said, and they're going to have more effect in managing their investments and managing their expenses. Today, most companies actively manage their investment portfolio. Where in the past, a lot of companies really didn't actively manage day to day. What I mean by that is they would buy a long-term bond, they would hold it to maturity. 
today most companies are actively invest, so they might buy a bond today, but if the market changes before that bond matures, they might sell it and, and replace that with something else. So it's more of an active day-to-day, month-to-month management of those portfolios, trying to get a little bit more interest rate and a little bit more yield. Uh, that's very tough in low interest rate times. And as you said, in the past, the precedent was that interest rates would recover. And, and historically, interest rates and bonds are, are you know, 5 6 7%, something in that marketplace, with a few blips in the history where bond rates might have been 10 12 15%, and a few blips where bond rates were actually negative. But today, we can look at economies like Japan, and they actually had negative interest rates for a, a long time. That's pretty amazing to us in a capitalist society that they actually could lend money out and not earn anything on it, but they had negative interest rates. Um, so again, you're correct in all those points. And I think the thing you want to look at is the long-term uh, activity of a company. Uh, short-term, you know, by nature, life insurance is on a short-term uh, product. The exception to that is borrowing against the policy. Um, and the consumer then can also have impact. So if interest rates are running low, which means loan rates will be low, and he wants to, has a, a short-term opportunity perhaps that he sees as a wise investment, you can borrow money out of the contract guaranteed that he can do that and use that money in any way that he may want to use it. And if he thinks he has a short-term opportunity to make money, then why not use that to improve his situation and then pay back those loans as needed? And you're talking exactly about what we discuss all the time that's privatized banking. So that's your, I have cash value available. I'm going to borrow against my cash value, put that to work somewhere for some opportunity, and then be able to repay that policy loan. So I've taken out a policy loan, put the money to work somewhere else. I'm still earning dividends and interest in the policy while the money's working somewhere else. And now I repay the loan whenever and however I choose. I mean, it's still going to... accrue interest, but you can pay back a lump sum. You can pay back a little bit over time. You can pay back when your cash flow situation warrants paying that loan back and then replenishing that tank to be able to use again. Yeah, it's a very unique situation where a insurance policy actually lays out the terms of a loan using that policy as collateral when you purchase the contract. So you know in the future how accessible it is, what you do, what you can't do, and the consumer can now manage that as opposed to being dictated to what he Mm -hmm. has to accept. And that's just a lot more control. I mean, that's one of the number one reasons that we see so much value in having the cash value portion of a whole life policy. Now, I think there's so many different pieces that we could talk about here. And I think just for the sake of time and clarity's sake, I think a few pieces, Bruce, that you were bringing in this idea that Short term, you could see an interest rate be higher or lower than another company. That doesn't mean that long term, it's going to stay there. So I think that is really important for us to realize that just because company A's dividend is higher than company B's declared dividend rate today, that does not mean company A is going to continue paying out at that higher dividend rate over time than company B. So a few parts of this are that you were kind of mentioning, Bruce, I mean, the way I envision it is here's the two rates of the two companies that over time, they're going to kind of just weave back and forth. One might be higher and lower, but over time, they're generally going to average out to being about the same. And, and Perry, you mentioned why spend so much time and energy over a quarter of a percentage point in the difference of a dividend rate. 
The reason for that is because a illustration is a projection based on today's rate. That is not a guarantee of what the dividend will be in the future because again, dividends are not guaranteed. They're highly likely, but they're not guaranteed. And so when you look at an illustration, it is a expectation of future performance that you're looking at into the future and you're expecting if today's dividend rate continues exactly as listed today, then every single year into the future, then this is the cash value that I will have, or this is the growth that I will have inside of my policy on that basis. But we know, as you mentioned, Perry, there the company is declaring the dividend for the next year in the second half of the year. I think that's what you said, right? In the second half Usually, of the year. Usually, yes. And then they're going to follow that dividend rate the next year, which again could be higher or lower based on all of the general macroeconomic factors and the management of the company, right? Yes, it's all true. Um, I, I mean, if you have an extreme economic disaster out there, an insurance company could change the dividend during a year. Mm. Uh, but that's not what they want to do because they want to treat all their policyholders the same across the board. So they're going to declare it on a year-to-year basis. And when I say extreme, I mean very extreme, you know, World War Three type stuff. Like um, more than COVID. Yes. <laughs> COVID <laughs> might have an effect on the declared rate for next year, but they're not likely to come in and make a change for this current year just because of COVID. And, and uh, as a side note, we're actually finding out that COVID has not affected uh, the interest rate market and the mortality market as much as some companies feared. We're actually seeing that being less less concerned. That's actually really great to hear from you as well. We just did a show on this. We just and did a show on that, Perry. Um, oh, I missed, I'm sorry. No, this is oh, that's great. Good confirmation. Good um, and I think, I think this is a good time now to shift to, um, Perry, uh, a gross dividend. And then mm-hmm. also people think, okay, this company has declared a 5.5% dividend. So I should be able to see my, my uh, increase in cash value go up by 5.5%. And what I don't think people understand is that that 5.5 gross dividend doesn't mean that every policyholder is going to get 5.5% increase. Some people are going to get a considerably larger increase. Some people are going to get a a lower than five. That's an average throughout the entire pool. So can you kind of comment on that? Yeah, companies will declare either a gross rate or a net rate, but they don't necessarily distinguish the two. That's uh, really key. I just it. want to point that out really quick. So one company's declared dividend does not mean apples to apples of exactly what the other companies is. If one company declares a gross and one declares a net and they don't distinguish. So I just wanted to point that out really quickly. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. I, I, that's an area probably that the industry could do a better job and, and, and get rid of some confusion. And when you look at the back of a policy, there are uh, mandated disclosures and stuff, and you can find that. It, but it, again, it takes a professional like Bruce to, to go through that and, and say, look, here's what this policy is say, saying in the footnotes that you should be aware of these dividend rates. Uh, but again, most companies, they're not trying to take advantage of anything. They're just trying to, to use their market edge where they can. Um, so what Bruce was alluding to in your question was, is you know, do all policy owners receive the same rate? Well, the company will base the dividends on a particular rate. But again, if you have a policy owner who has had a contract for 30 years versus one who just purchased it, 
there's going to be a different dividend rate for those. As you hold a contract longer and longer, you participate in a higher portion of the, of the dividend uh, simply because expenses have been already accrued and you're past those times and you know, you, you're a long-term policyholder and you're going to be rewarded for that. Um, age and mortality and all these things go into underwriting will affect what your particular policy might pay in dividends. And then there can be different policy designs with inside the same company. Um, most companies have more than one whole life contract. They may have a portfolio of two, three, five, six, or seven whole life contracts. The company declared uh, X dividend for that year, but one policy over the other may not pay that much depending on how large the guarantees are or how low the premiums are and for the particular product design. Um, and those product designs vary uh, from product to product because a company is trying to um, offer a product that meets a particular need and, and not all one product fits all applications, um, business applications versus personal applications and so forth may be different. Um, and then finally, when you look at um, dividend rates, you also have to look at the loan provisions in a contract. So if, because a consumer has the right, a policy owner's right to borrow money off that contract at any given time, use that, that, that policy as collateral, the dividend, or excuse me, the loan rate or how the loan interest rate is calculated can vary substantially. Um, some companies have a loan rate that reflects that there's a loan on the contract and it may vary. Some have a fixed loan rate uh, that doesn't vary whether you borrow against the policy or not. Others, you can choose a variable loan rate or a fixed rate at the time you purchase the contract. So those all come into play. There was a time when that didn't matter. Um, prior to uh, the 1980s, pretty much all policy loans were the same from company to company. Interest rate might vary a slight amount, but the way they were calculated were pretty much the same. But again, if you Rachel, you're too young to remember, but Bruce, if you go back to the 80s and you remember double-digit interest rates and the changes in the tax codes that were going on at the time, uh, there was a run on insurance companies because you could go to an insurance company and borrow money at 25 or 3% and mm-hmm. your mortgage rate was 11 So again, the consumers became aware of that. And they could have a personal arbitrage on a policy. They borrow it at three or four, put it in a CD at 10, uh, and then pay it back sometime in the future. Um, so insurance companies weren't prepared for that. And they began changing the loan interest rates to kind of protect against that type of scenario a little bit. It was unpredicted. Uh, today, loan, loans don't really hurt companies as bad as they have in the past because, again, interest rates are low. And if you have a company that charges a four or five percent interest on a a loan that you can take out at any given time, that may be competitive with what they earn in the marketplace and interest rates. They, they don't necessarily want to encourage a a large loan portfolio, but they don't have a problem with some loans being outstanding because then they receive interest on. That's really interesting perspective. So we're talking about. N- several things here. One is that not everyone is going to get the same declared dividend. So the myth would be everyone gets the declared dividend 
dropped into their policy every single year. That is a myth. It's so true. So people are going to get the dividend paid into their policy based on policy design, based on age, mortality, the longer they've held the policy. So a lot of those factors. And then also there's another myth that all companies across the board, the dividend rate means the same thing from one company to another. And you shared as well that you could have a gross dividend declared with one company and a net dividend declared with another. Can you differentiate what is the difference between a gross dividend and a net dividend and why does that matter? Generally, the difference is is just expenses. Uh, So a gross rate would be the higher rate before they calculate whatever their expenses might be and mortality might be before they offer the net rate. And some companies would would, uh, take the argument that that's a very honest rate. That's the gross. And then every, as you said, policyholders will have different expenses, different mortality, different issues, and they'll net that out time to time. Others will come in and say, well, uh, we're going to give you a net rate based on the average expenses, mortalities, and so forth on a particular policy. And we think that's more honest because it's a lower rate and it lowers expectations of the consumer. Both arguments have validity. um, So it's going to depend upon the company. But you need to know which it is. Um, and again, a, a professional in the marketplace can help advise the consumer that way. So thank you for differentiating those two. And I think it's really important for us as consumers to realize that these are not flippant decisions made by life insurance companies either. This is something that, as you're saying, there's an argument strongly on either side of this. And there's reasons, business reasons to use one or the other. And at this time, there's not an industry standard across the board that every company must use this particular way of announcing their dividend rate. So we've talked about these myths in uh, several different ways, but I wanted to come back to one piece here that today's, here's another myth that today's dividend rate that is on your illustration is going to be guaranteed to pay out exactly like that in every single year in the future of your policy. And we've talked about this as well earlier through the conversation, but Perry, we have a company, the life insurance company is declaring their dividend rate every single year and then paying out based on that particular year's performance. The reason that we have the illustration is that the illustration needs some sort of a way to give an idea of projections into the future and an idea of what you could expect if you get paid a dividend at today's rates. But that does not mean it's going to stay that way in the future. In fact, the dividend could be increased if we are starting a policy now and you're looking out 30 years from now, we could easily have higher dividends paid than what are illustrated today, correct? That's all correct. Um, The the insurance companies want to be competitive. They want to put out a competitive illustration there certainly in the business of selling policies, but they don't want to be too extreme either and, and raise a, a consumer expectation beyond what they're really going to be able to do because they know they will suffer lapses if that's the case. The, anytime you take on a, 
and I, I hesitate using the word investment because insurance really is not an investment. Mm-hmm. But if you were to take on an investment or a savings plan and you projected out what those yields might be in the future, in most cases, you know that those are not guaranteed, that that will change, the market will change. If you buy a house, you know that the value of that house is not going to go up every year by 2% or 3%. It's going to vary. Uh, and some years will go up a lot. Some years it won't go up very much. And if you're unfortunate that you bought in a bad location, it might go down in value. Um, so the great thing about an insurance policy is the majority of the values are guaranteed. The dividends are the extra piece yes. uh, that you're rewarded for good company stewardship and good company management. That's said very well. And actually, I was just thinking as we're having this conversation, what might be in someone's mind would be all the way back to the beginning. We talk about whole life having guarantees, guaranteed death benefit, guaranteed premium, guaranteed cash value. Wait a minute. Why are you talking about dividends not guaranteed? Again, we do want to remember the dividends are just on the non-guaranteed side of the illustration. There's a guaranteed side before dividends even come into the picture at all where we have a guaranteed growth rate based on interest that we know for sure is the bare bottom floor performance of this policy that we're putting in place. And that part, that side of the illustration will be the minimum if today's dividend rate stays the same. But even at if you look at the very next year, once the dividend is applied in year one, Now, year two's guarantees are going to shift and adjust upwards because there's no dividends accounted for on your guaranteed side of the illustration, right? Once a dividend is paid out, it has become guaranteed effectively because it's paid and we can't take it back. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes. And the the illustrations do a fairly good job of uh, telling you what's guaranteed and not guaranteed. And then the footnotes will also tell you the dividends are not guaranteed in the future, just like purchasing a mutual fund where they say past performance, not an indication of future performance. Mm-hmm. Well, that's partially true with an insurance illustration. The guaranteed sides are guaranteed, but the non-guaranteed side of the dividend is, and even some death benefit growth, if you're using paid up additions or other types of things uh, with a dividend can vary because we, can, we don't know for sure what that's going to be. This is a best guess scenario, all things considered. Um, there are other types of life insurance policies that are much more aggressive than that. That the guarantees are smaller, that they don't pay dividends, or their yields are directly tied to interest rates. And, and those contracts are a little bit more aggressive. They're designed purposely to be aggressive. That doesn't make them good or bad. They're just different than a whole life contract. Most people, when they think of life insurance, they think of guarantees. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, even though we have a dividend discussion today, the guarantee should not be overlooked. Very, very awesome. I wanted to ask you uh, one question kind of before we bring this to a close and really talk about why this all even matters. But some companies may declare one dividend and then once they end up paying this out, and I think I kind of alluded to starting to ask this towards the beginning, but they may or may not pay close to what that projected dividend is. So they may project, I don't know, 6%. And then once everything shakes out for the year, they might pay a lesser amount of dividend. Whereas another company might be really good at making a projection and paying very close, even close to pennies to the dollar 
well, within pennies, I should say that would be a little bit more clearly, within pennies of the dividend that they projected. What is the difference between a company that declares one dividend and pays something and has a variance between projected and what they pay out versus a company that's really tight with their projections and then what they end up doing as a result of the, that projection? Well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. You remember that management of insurance companies changes. Uh, so a president of a company is not going to be the president of the company in 30 years. There'll be other people running those organizations. There'll be other people running the market. The, the com competition in the marketplace will come into play. Uh, how well they manage their investments and, and that sort of thing will come into play. And did they do their proper underwriting? Uh, I mean, everybody would like underwriting to be more easy, but companies that have easy underwriting sometimes suffer long-term mortality problems mm. and those expenses go up. So I, I guess I would lean on the side to say that the more conservative the company is, both in marketing and management, the more likely they're going to be close to their long-term dividend expectations, where a more aggressive company is, is just by its nature more likely not to be in those neighborhoods. That said, uh, we won't know. Uh, there are a lot of interesting things going on and how companies are managed and how they manage their investment portfolios. And I've said this, Bruce has heard me say this before, we won't know if some of those things are good or bad for 20 years. Uh, and we might look back and go, dang, we should have done that. Well, hindsight is a nice thing to have. Um, but we also very likely would say, yeah, they, they strayed. They, they went out on a, an aggressive limb and the policyholders paid for that. And that's a shame. Uh, but I think the consumer holds a little responsibility to that. If, if you're fortunate enough to have disposable income, you have somewhat of a responsibility to understand what you're doing with that. You know, Perry, um, we, we represent a couple of different companies and one of the companies we represent actually declares a higher dividend than the other company. And people are enamored about that all the time. But that company's also going on over a two-year table shaving program, which is a little bothersome for me. And for our listeners that don't know what a table shaving program is, what, what a company will do is say, okay, we, you're not a standard rating as far as we um, think. You're actually a little more unhealthy than that but we'll bring you back up to a standard rating in an effort to get your business. And of course, what that does is put pressure on mortality, like Perry was saying, into the future. So it's almost what our, it's almost like a lot like what our government's doing right now. Let's just spend like drunken sailors and then we'll, we'll deal with it 20 or 30 years from now. And I'm not even going to be working at the company anymore. So why do I care? Um, and so that's, that's hard to explain to a client when they're just looking at two different numbers a lot of times. I try to explain it, but uh, they, they don't get it either because they're also looking to hit that home run. Oh, look at this. I, I'm going to get a better return now. They're not even thinking about 20 or 30 years from now. Yeah, and table the client is program. getting – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, table shaving programs are, are – more complex behind the scenes than what we look at sometimes in the field. I mean, your explanation is correct. They're doing it to try to attract more business, but they're also attracting business who perhaps were not given standard preferred at another company. So there's a certain amount of risk to that. 
insurance companies try to offset that risk through the reinsurance agreements. And now we're getting beyond the consumer to some degree. But if they were able to negotiate a better reinsurance agreement, uh, they might be able to limit that risk to some degree. Um, but again, these we have history where some companies who have done this have eventually had a problem. Uh, mortality became uh, too expensive for them, and they had to then change operations in the future. Uh, table shaving programs also put pressure on uh, managing their interest in yields in the portfolio. Because if they can't manage mortality once they issue a policy, it is what it's going to be, and they have a bad result, then they have to get better yields to offset those things. And so they may, again, be pushed to make a more aggressive stance in the investment marketplace. So, again, it, there's a lot to it behind the scenes, but you're correct in the, in the way you, you gave an overview. Uh, Rachel, you, I interrupted you. I'm no, sorry. No, it was along the same lines, but I think for the one consumer that you're talking to at the moment, if I personally am not very healthy, but I want so badly to take advantage of this idea of getting a whole life policy that's going to have a death benefit that pays to my heirs, be able to leave this legacy, be able to have the cash value that I can access and use, I want to be insured at the best rate possible. Sure. But if we look at the big picture, then we're, I mean, just even if you look at the, the morality and the ethics of the whole thing, you're looking at what's best for one person may not necessarily be what's best for the company as a whole, because too much of doing what's just in the favor or interest of one person may off balance the whole system and make it not as uh, profitable and productive for everybody. Yeah, well, I think there's some keys in there. And yes, certainly when you're looking at long-term large numbers of managing a company, if too aggressive a program like table shaving and mortality uh, benefits are, are, are adhered to over a long period of time, it can affect the viability of that company to do the things they want to do, the profits, the, the, the long-term financials and so forth. But generally, uh, we have not seen table shaving uh, programs bankrupt any company. We, we've seen it affect yields, yes, but not bankrupt a company. So again, the, the professional advisor has to look at his individual client. Mm-hmm. He's got the luxury of looking just at the broad base. Gee, this would know, this would be better for the insurance company and all the other policyholders if you if you decline to take the table shaving. We can't afford to do that. You have to go to your consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the advisor has a responsibility to his client to do the best he can for them. So sometimes table shaving programs are very good. You can take somebody who uh, you rarely find a case where a, a client who is uninsurable can get a policy. Mm-hmm. But right. you can take somebody perhaps who has suffered a, a class B or C rating, and you might be able to take it to a company that within limits. And there's always rules around these. So there's not just the wild west. They can do anything they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that consumer might be able to benefit by having a, a better rate, which not only will give him a lower premium for the death benefit that he needs, but also may give him a better performing contract because uh, he's not paying the, that uh, rate up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, the, on- yeah, Perry, I think the thing I was saying is um, if a person's already getting the standard rate um, and they're going to get a standard rate with every company, um, they should consider the fact that, that uh, yes, obviously, if we have somebody that's getting a B rating and they can go to a table shaving company, we go there all, all the time to help the consumer. 
That's the absolute truth. What I was trying to say is um, this is just another example of how you can uh, do something in the short term that may affect long term in interest rates. That was, that was my biggest point on this. Mm -hmm. and, Which and comes it, back to the topic today would affect dividends then typically. That's how a company would offset unexpected mortality is they would have to affect their dividend rate. Correct. They could limit that effect to maybe just that those particular years, those policies issued in those years, or they might broadcast against the whole uh, book of business, making that look a little different, but then all policyholders uh, pay the price. And I think the last thing, Rachel, that I'd like to cover, and I want to make sure we cover this is, Barry, I think there's a, you and I have talked about this before, is what is the dividend based upon? And we know it's proprietary for every company. And so there is some secrecy there. Um, but the fact of the matter is that it is it is a function of not only the the premium but the death benefit. So the um, and because the base premium pays a greater death benefit in uh, ratio, because that is that is going to be paid somehow some way throughout the entire um, contract, where the PUAs is actually an optional portion of it that there's a higher percentage of, of um, dividend or the dividend is paid on the, um, the base premium at a, higher, at a higher rate because it's like a higher death benefit per premium. So right. policy design will also affect how much dividend you get because the, the bigger the base, then the bigger the dividend. So you could, uh, in closing, I think that's a, this is a very important mm -hmm. topic to kind of touch upon. Yeah, policy design, uh, and I don't mean design for how the insurance company filed it with the state, but with whole life today having flexibility that it didn't used to have, how the, the advisor designs the policy that he's offering to the client by buying um, paid up edition riders and this sort of thing. Um, term riders, paid up edition riders, spousal, child riders, all these types of things can be added to a contract may affect how that dividend rate on that particular policy is. And then again, you get into the issue with some companies will pay a different dividend rate on the base policy, a different dividend rate on paid up additional riders, and another different dividend rate on the compounding of dividends, uh, the growth in the dividend rate itself. Some companies pay the same across the board. Uh, but some vary um, quite a lot. And then if there's another option that, that we talk about from time to time in life insurance policies and whole life policies, the only one that has it, then it's the ability to do a reduced paid up policy. And so you run across another potential dividend difference, rate difference, where if a policy is non-premium paying, it's a reduced paid up or matured contract, it might receive a different dividend rate than a policy is currently being paid. Premiums are currently being paid. So those all come into effect. So again, that all that confuses the consumer. And again, I go back to where you need a, a good quality advisor to help navigate that, that coastline for him so he understands where the rocks are at, where the dangerous parts are at, and where the deep water is safe. So yeah, I got a little really, sailing in there, didn't I? Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> that was wonderful. I think what's really interesting about this whole thing is that you could, as a consumer, look at this conversation and throw up your hands and say, oh my goodness, it's just too overwhelming. I cannot make a decision. 
And where is the solid ground? Where is the the thing that I can absolutely count on? What we want to share with you today is that it's important to look deeper than a declared dividend rate to make your decision. That is the point of this conversation. I think that's a very good statement. And again, it goes, I believe it goes back to how good a quality advisor and the uh, experience of the advisor that you have. Rachel, I think it, it comes to the fact that um, all these mutual and mutual holding companies are very, very good. It's, it's, you need to get a policy. Yes. <laughs> you know, that was stop, my next point. Yes. Stop worrying about which one is a little bit better or has the potential to be a little bit better into the future and just start a good habit of saving and protecting your family and loved ones and building your legacy with a death benefit. That's the most yes. important thing in this, instead of trying to figure out oh, which one's going to be a little better 30 years from now. I almost generally can tell you that the policy you should have bought 10 years ago would have been better than the policy that you're buying today because you were 10 years younger. Absolutely. So good. And what's interesting about all these pieces is that if we just focus on the life insurance policy, is my savior. It's the thing that I want. We realize that it's really our savings habits that are most important, not which one is mechanically a tiny bit different or a tiny bit improved over another one. So really- Your Savings and spending habits. Yes, which go hand in hand because you can't have any savings habits if you have poor spending habits. Right. <laughs> or if you well, have- The United States government can. You know- they, they have the unfeathered ability to tax and raise revenue. And most people don't have that in their income stream. Do they actually have any savings habits? The government. <laughs> We're going to get is... into politics. That's a whole different show. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, something I forgot to mention at the very beginning, which hopefully if you're still with us at this part of the show, you will hear this and we'll make sure we add this in the beginning in the future. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions. You can go to themoneyadvantage.com on your cell phone or on a desktop. Anywhere you go to themoneyadvantage.com, there's a link at the top that says, send us a voicemail. I actually said this wrongly last week. Send us a voicemail. You can click that button and you can leave up to a 90 second voicemail. And we would love to answer your questions live on the show, which means we can play your question and then be able to answer it. We'd love to be able to have your questions and input. We're gathering some questions now and we're putting together a ask us anything episode. And we're really excited to be able to present this to you because your questions as you're listening are way more important than all of the millions of things that we can bring onto the show. Your question is absolutely the most important. So please leave us a voicemail at send us a voicemail on themoneyadvantage.com. And then I also want to let you know that you can book a free call with our team. That is an introductory conversation. If you want to figure out how to use privatized banking, alternative investments and cash flow strategies to really be able to get on that path to time and money freedom or amplify what you're already doing and just set yourself that much further ahead and get your money doing as much as possible for you. You can do that at themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar. And Perry, I also want to make sure that we allow people to reach out to you if they have questions. How can someone find you if they would like to contact you directly? Uh, Email is probably the best. Uh, and that's 6500wakanda at gmail.com. Awesome. We'll make sure that that is in the show notes as well if you'd like to reach out to Perry directly. Perry, thank you so much for sharing your behind the scenes 
insiders look really at what a life insurance company is doing so that we can understand as consumers how best to use those factors and really grow our money the best that we can. So I really, really appreciate your wisdom today. Well, thanks for having me, Bruce. Good to see you again as well. Good, buddy. Absolutely. Well, in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk, and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.